Good morning. How is everyone doing this morning? Doing well, you? Doing well. Uh, welcome to episode five of the Maryland Bike Club's Coaches Corner. I'm Alex Sprague, race director of Maryland Bike Club. And with me, as always, is Paul Moffat, owner of philosophy.cc and cycling coach, coach the Maryland Bike Club. How are you doing this morning, Paul? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks, Alex. And this week we have a little something new, we have, uh, which we're going to try to keep going during the duration of Coach's Corner, which is we have a guest Loma on the pod today. Uh, today we have Tim Rodmar. How are you doing this morning, Tim? Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Look forward to it. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, this week on Coach's Corner, we're going to discuss gravel riding in the Lower Mainland and how to incorporate gravel riding into your road cycling training regimen. Um, and then we're going to get into the concept of fitness and freshness and what it's like to have good legs with, uh, with Tim. So uh, without further ado, to kick things off, let's start with the basics. Um, what, what is a gravel bike, Paul? Okay, so a gravel bike is uh, basically an extension of your road bike. Um, it'd be the equivalent of a uh, late 80s, early 90s mountain bike. Um, doesn't necessarily have a lot of travel, but it has um, big clearance for tires. So you can get up, well, right now you can get up to 50 millimeter tires on some bikes, which, which is significantly big. Um, and that just uh, creates opportunities for you to take that bike in as many places as you like. Um, most of us have done the Stanley Park loop on the inside, but a lot of riders don't know how many amazing trails are actually on the inside of Stanley Park and having a bike like um, a gravel bike can uh, help open that up to you and, and diversify your riding a little bit. So yeah, they're, they're, they're just a bike that allow you access to more terrain, more places to ride, um, and just kind of crossing the barrier into mountain biking a little bit without taking a full step in. Um, I find with, with mountain biking, um, you kind of need a vehicle to do it well. You can't go, well, you can, but it's, it's quite a task to go from my place in Kits, ride up to Seymour on a mountain bike and do some trails there. Whereas um, with a gravel bike, I can lead from my house on that bike. It's a pretty good road bike. So heading out to the trails is not that much slower than my fast road bike and then have some fun in those trails as well. So just um, a nice all rounder, if you will. Excellent. So um, in, in terms of gravel bikes, is there a big difference between, you know, we, road cyclists are, are probably more familiar with the idea, at least classically, of a cyclocross bike. Is there, is there a big difference between cyclocross bikes and gravel bikes? Or can I, can I just do gravel bikes on my cyclocross bike if I have one? Oh, absolutely. So like originally the cyclocross bikes were gravel bikes. Um, a cyclocross racing is a different together they're usually like an hour race or less high intensity almost like a crit on um rough grassy terrain and short short steep punchy hills and um but but all off-road so they were they're quite a bit different to a road bike though they're not they're not uh the same beast at all but it doesn't mean that you can't transfer that bike to to road or to gravel um the Gravel bike is kind of like now the in-betweener between a road bike and a, and a cyclocross bike. Um, 
I guess this is just going to lead straight into our next topic is like, what's the difference between a, a cyclocross bike and a gravel bike? So in cyclocross racing, you have to think about um, the types of courses that you're going to get. So a cyclocross bike is designed to do very, very tight cornering, like 180 degree corners straight into the left and a right. Um, the speeds are typically much, much lower than on the road. So even though you feel like you're going pretty fast and you're putting out a lot of energy, um, it's uncommon to do cyclocross races where your average speed, well, for me anyway, is higher than about 20 kilometers an hour. Whereas a same length race and a crit race, you could easily be doing 35 to upwards of 40 kilometers an hour for the same race. So the bikes are designed differently for those tasks. And what a cyclocross bike has um, particularly different is a steep head angle. So where, where your front, uh, front wheel meets it, it is sharpened up a little bit to help you get around those corners. Um, but that can also be problematic if you suddenly take that bike onto the road and then try to corner it like you would a road bike. So on a road bike, when you corner, we typically don't see corners that are sharper than a 90 degree corner because our roads are designed around cars. It's just not um, practical to make 180 degree corners. So typically our corners are much more sweeping. So that means the rake is a little different um, and you can really like rail into the corners, like you can lean into them and the trail is different. So rake and trail are, are other terms that I don't really know too much about, but there's a big difference between cyclocross and, and uh, road bike. Maybe even Tim might know a little bit more about that. But typically my first mistake when I jumped into cyclocross is trying to ride it like a roadie because I can corner really fast on the road and I would take the corners and dive my shoulder in and drop the bike and I would often find myself way on the outside of the corner after chopping out half the field. So you have to take a different approach. It's a much more upright type of cornering. Um, yeah, whereas a gravel bike, the head angles are much more slack and they handle a little bit more like a road bike. So to road is a little bit more applicable because now you're probably riding, if you're starting to do big gravel events, you're riding fire service roads and things like that. So again, the concept of sweeping corners starts to come into it. You're not typically doing 180 degree hairpin turns on a gravel bike, but on gravel, you really don't know what you're going to get. So they have to be kind of good at everything. The other big difference between a CX bike and say a road or a gravel bike is the bottom bracket height. So the height of the bottom bracket from the ground is much higher to give you clearance to go over obstacles. Like uh, I'm sure most of you have seen a uh, cyclocross right race. I've seen those barriers that they jump. Those are pretty big. So they lift that up to make sure that your chain ring doesn't catch on things like that or big roots or obstacles that they put on the course. And again, that changes the handling of the bike. So you're a little bit taller on the bike, which means you have a higher center of gravity. So again, that affects your cornering as well as those obstacles. Whereas a road bike, they bring your center of gravity down, they bring the bottom bracket closer to the, the ground, and that gives you the sensation of grip. So when you're leaning into a corner, um, you, you really feel like you're down low and, and gripping the road. Yeah. So does that make the does that move your center of gravity up and make make it feel more less solid? Yeah, it can it can make it feel a little bit uh, like it, you've seen you've seen like how a bus takes a corner, right? 
So yeah. you're going to start really wide and it's, it's, it kind of leans out a little bit because the center of gravity is so high versus a sports car. It's really pushed down, right? So CXing, when, you're, when you have your bottom bracket that high, it's really tall. So how you corner is a lot differently. You don't go cooking into a corner that you actually like, you slow down a lot before the corner and it's all about the line that you pick. So picking a line that has the most grip but there's big accelerations out of the corner in a cyclocross race. Whereas in a road race, you typically try not to tap your brakes into the corner. So you kind of pick the, the most speed you're confident handling in a road bike uh, type scenario, and you hold that speed through the corner. And then when you exit, there's no, there can be an acceleration, but not in the same way that you would in a cyclocross race where it's really punchy. Yeah. yeah. I think that, that, um, one of the, the main things, if you do end up doing a lot of gravel riding and um, you're doing either gravel fondo or even around here, you'll, you'll find yourself on, on descents on the gravel bike. And that slackness will add to stability and a sense of, of a little more safety. Um, whereas a, a cross bike, you might get a little twitchy in the handlebars with that upright head angle. Um, and make you feel a little less less comfortable, which is good for a cyclocross race to give you that handling. But on the gravel fondo, or you know, on a training ride on your gravel bike, it might make you a little less comfortable. Yeah. So, and again, like um, it, it just as a personal anecdote and, and example, uh, I, I bought a Cannondale Super X last year, which was a, a thoroughbred cyclocross bike. And because it's a, a, a thoroughbred a cyclocross bike, it didn't have like massive clearance for tires. It has good clearance. You could get up to 40 millimeter tires. Um, but typically in cyclocross races, you're limited to a 33 millimeter tire. Well, here in the lower main, we have three categories when you race cyclocross. You have novice, intermediate, and elite. In, in novice and intermediate, there's no real restrictions on tire width. So you can run a 45 millimeter tire or, or whatever you want. In, in novice, you can ride any bike you want. You can ride a mountain bike in that race if you want. So no problem transfer. You could ride a road bike if you want, really, but <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. Um, but there's no, there's no limit to the type of tires and type of bike you can run there. But once you get to elite or if you start competing in a provincial uh, race or something like that, or if you start to travel, there will be tire restrictions. So cyclocross bikes are only meant originally to hold up to a 33 millimeter tire. And wind back to less than 10 years ago, that's pretty much all you could buy is, is bikes that had clearance for that. And that was considered big for, for a gravel or a cyclocross bike. So now it's a little bit different. Um, so that, that Super X that I bought, it didn't have massive uh, gravel tire clearance, but it wasn't a bad gravel bike. Like for a novice, it would be perfect. And for most of the trails that people are gonna do in the lower main lane, <laughs> lower mainland, it would be fine. But if you're starting to get sort of a little bit more ambitious and you're trying to take on uh, mountain bike-esque trails or trails that are really rooty and, and rocky, big rocks, not gravel, um, you're gonna need something or want something that has a bit more width to it and a little bit softer. That bike also had kind of a, like you were talking about descending, they specifically designed that bike with a little bit more rake. So it, it stuck out a little bit further so you could descend faster. Now that also changed the cornering on that bike. So I didn't find it was a huge advantage for cyclocross because in our racing scene, we don't have a lot of steep descents in our cyclocross racing. So it wasn't an advantage. 
but I can imagine it would be um, if you um, had one because if, you, if it's too steep, you can get bucked over the bars a little bit. But because of that fact that they pushed that front wheel out a little bit more, it changed the cornering and it wasn't the, the best to corner in a cyclocross race. But when I took it to gravel, because it was a super light cyclocross bike, um, it had 40 millimeter tires and it had this little bit of extension. It was a bullet of a gravel bike. It was, it was quite, quite fun for gravel, even though it wasn't specifically designed for that. In fact, I found it a, a lot more fun for riding uh, gravel than, than racing cyclocross. So, yeah. But most people are not going to have or need that level of distinction between it. If you're getting into gravel for the first time, don't, don't worry too much about that stuff. Yeah, I was, was going to say, at the, at the end of the day, if you've got one or the other, it's, it's not really going to limit you. Like, if you only have a gravel bike, you can still do cyclocross races. Yeah. If you only have a cyclocross bike, you can still do gravel. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the only time where you're going to want something that's like, uh, like, let's take some of the high-end model cyclocross bikes, like a Stevens Super Prestige or a um, specialized crux. Those are like specifically designed for their task. They're very light. Um, they're made for cyclocross, but you really only need to have such a specific tool when you're starting to get way up the ranks and you're splitting hairs. Like you're in the top 10 and you're divided by a few seconds between you and your opponents. And a bike like that is going to make the difference where you're making up seconds in the corner and things like that. But if that's not really a big deal to you, uh, racing cyclocross and moving up through the ranks, then a bike like that might not be the best bike for you. Maybe you want something that's a bit more all-rounder and is going to open up some of the opportunities on the North Shore or in uh, Port Coquitlam. The trails there are amazing and have a bit more fun with that bike, right? So... So uh, this this kind of this whole conversation kind of started with a specific question um, that that was posed to Coach's Corner, which is uh, one of our riders really likes gravel riding and, and and enjoys it, but doesn't know how to fit it into their training regimen because it's a little difficult, particularly the trails around here. And maybe we can talk about some of the trails that are better for training on, but it's a little difficult to find a you know, a stable, you know, even, even graded hill to do hill repeats on if you're on a gravel bike. So is there a way to incorporate uh, gravel riding into your training regime? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> one thing you could do is you can train hills on the road bike and ride your, your gravel bike. That would be like the simple solution. But uh, it is something that I've struggled with too. Um, and it just depends on your goals. If you're racing cyclocross, your needs are going to be completely different to say doing the uh, Kettle Valley River gravel fondo in Kelowna, right? Um, a lot of the gravel events are big fondo-esque events. So you train it the same way that you would train a fondo, which would be midweek you do your intensity rides and you, and you focus on uh, – hill repeat type efforts and, and interval training above the seven out of 10 um, perceived effort intensity. And then on the weekend, that's where you can really explore the lower mainland gravel is, is about building your endurance. So going for rides that are three, four, five hours, maybe even more than that if, you, if you're up for it, right? In which case, we live in the best place for that. 
So there's tons of great gravel right at our doorstep. You can take the Stevenson Dyke systems around the bottom of, well, yeah, the outside of uh, Richmond all the way south to Steveston and then do the dikes. There's Tawasson, Boundary Bay. Out east, we have um, Pitt, Pitt Meadows, Pitt River. Um, out in Coquitlam, there's trails that go all the way around there, all flat. So they're a perfect place to work on your base miles. So often in winter, when the weather's shitty, that's when I'll take my gravel bike out because riding gravel is like, you're a little bit less exposed to being on the road. Uh, it's a little warmer. The expectation is that you're going to get a little bit wet and a little bit mucky. It's part of the fun of the whole sport. So it's not a big deal. Whereas on my road bike, I don't like being wet. I don't like being dirty, stuff like that. So it's a great time to, to do it in the fall and September and build up those base miles. In terms of hill training, though, there's nothing wrong with going to the base of uh, uh, Frome and doing Frome. Frome's got some nice steady climbs on it, and you just do interval trainings like you like you would uh, up Cypress, etc. But again, if it comes down to time management, you're probably better off doing a little bit of training on your road bike at least once a week and doing some hill repeats, and then going out to Frome and doing uh, doing bigger mountains on the weekend or building up your mileage and, and doing like flat gravel out in eastern parts of uh, Vancouver or something to that effect. Um, if you like punchy hills, you are unlimited for uh, training on punchy hills. Stanley Park has a plethora of like one to three minute steep grade uh, climbs and that's probably a good... Um, tool to have in your toolbox because when you're doing mountain biking or graveling you will you will see like trails are never like like this person has identified that your trail is never consistent so you're going to have this kind of like throttle on throttle off type of riding so incorporating a little bit of that in your training where you're doing like maybe one to two minute efforts in a controlled way not all in but like back at like eight and a half to nine out of ten and just doing repeats and building up your tolerance. So maybe the first time you do it, you can only do four of those. And then as the season progresses, you can do six, seven, or eight of those. That's going to be beneficial to your long rides because you probably have more than eight solid efforts in a big ride like the Kettle Valley or the Couching Crusher or something like that. So you kind of need that anaerobic engine to be there too. So, and I, yeah, <laughs> I could go on forever about how to train for it. But it, it comes down to some of your goals, what events you're training for, what you want to be like as a rider, where your strengths and your weaknesses are. But as a, as a kind of blanket statement, endurance rides on the weekend, nice and flat, trying to be steady, trying not to take too many breaks so that your body gets acclimatized to moving all the time um, and conditioned to doing that without needing a break. And then during the week, punchier climbs or um, long, steady efforts around you know, 10 minutes or so, four or five of those efforts. Yeah. So, and that can be done on the road as well. So it's, it's all that, all that um, training is going to transfer over. Fantastic. And um, for anyone listening, who's really interested in getting into gravel riding, maybe doesn't know how to get to those, those dike systems. Uh, I've ridden on quite a few of them over this fall, thanks to the help of Paul and his, his expert navigation. So uh, if you want to get into that and you're looking about where to go, feel free to shoot me a message and I'll, I'll try to get you set up on the, on some great routes. 
I can send you guys a uh, email link with a ton of my gravel routes that I have. I'll just copy and paste them over and, and send that them to you guys. That would be perfect. And Excellent. you guys just modify them as you need to, to start where you can. Uh, something everyone should do once you get a gravel bike is go do the Trans-Canada Trail. Yeah. So it starts at like the second narrowest bridge and you enter the trail there and it takes you all the way out to Coquitlam. It's the most fun you can have on a bike. And right next door is SFU. So if you like those punchy climbs, there's, uh, there's tons of climbing to do there. But one thing I, I would say for anyone getting into gravel biking, number one, use, this is where Strava really shows its value and that $5 a month really, really is worth it. Their mapping system is really, really good. So it'll show pretty much all the trails that are around you on those maps and you can kind of plot them out from where you are and drag your cursor over to trails that you want to try and ride. But you should pair that up with uh, an app called uh, Trail Forks. Trail Forks will show you the severity of a trail via um, a coloring system, a green, blue, and black, just like they have a mountain biking. Right, so when it's your first kind of gravel adventure, you want to stick to green trails, and as you kind of progress, you can add some blue trails in there, and then black trails. Just stay away from them until you're uh, really experienced, or you're on a mountain bike and have some suspension and some some confidence behind you. Yes, we should also mention for those of us that are um, West Side based, since we are sort of a West Side club, um, Pacific Spirit. Pacific Spirit Park's got some great uh, punchy climbs up from the beach to Forth, where yes. you can, you know, after work in the winter or, or early morning, you can push up the, a couple of those a few times and, and you've got yourself, you could definitely have a nice hour worth of uh, interval going up and down those hills. Or uh, once you get up past Forth, just doing little circuits around that whole, the whole UBC uh, endowment zone, you know, there's some good little punchy yeah. punchy trails and, and good windy trails if you can the key would be i would think to uh do it early or do it late so you avoid the mass uh pedestrian and dog walker traffic that does get in there which slows yeah. you down a fair bit but if you're uh train train in the morning type you can get in there before the, the crowds and it's pretty good yeah that's that's a great great call that timbo um Pacific Spirit Park offers a lot. I can't believe I didn't even touch on that. So thanks for reminding me. <laughs> this Pacific Spirit Park is also divided into kind of four parts. And like you like you mentioned, down at the beach there. So if you start at Locano and you make your way up to Fourth uh, Ave, those are super punchy climbs. So you you'll definitely get your money's worth training hills there. Um, they're not super steady, so there's definitely something um, to think about there. Um, if you're looking for slightly more flat terrain than the most south part of um, uh, Pacific Spirit is probably your best bet. So where it goes from 16th to Southwest Marine Drive and using the east-west facing trail. So most of, most of the trails in uh, Pacific Spirit, if it's east-west, it's going to be a lot flatter and a lot more steady. If it's north-south, it's probably going to have some climbing and some punchiness to it. So that's kind of like a, a really easy, practical way of uh, utilizing. However, the first time you're out there, if you're not used to being in Pacific Spirit Park, you're probably not even going to know which direction you're facing because you can't see the mountains when you're in there. So I definitely got lost a, a few times, which is kind of part of the charm of uh, gravel riding is just being on an adventure, even though you're so close to home. Um, yeah. 
But, and, and something that you touched on um, is really important. There are lots of dog walkers out there. So I've been reluctant to ride with a bell pretty much my whole life. And riding with a bell in Pacific Spirit Park has been a big game changer for me. Most pedestrians, in fact, pedestrians react better to a bell than uh, most cyclists do. So I'd encourage you to get that. And also remember just to be a good advocate for your club and for road cyclists or cyclists in general and respect the other trail users. So if there's any descents in there, maybe you don't go full gas into those. You just back off a little bit, remembering that you can't see around every corner and just want to keep things civil between other park users and cyclists. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. I hope that um, inspires some of you to get out on your gravel bikes if you have them um, and, uh, and, and incorporate it into your training. And now I'm going to hand it over to Timbo for a discussion of good legs. So when you watch bike racing, you always, uh, you always hear the racers, you know, refer to good legs, had good legs today. Um, yeah. So it's, obviously there seems to be a variable. I know from my own experience, I remember years ago, a buddy of mine came home from a race and he's like, Wow, I was so fast today. It was like I was riding on some. I was like pedaling with somebody else's legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that line stuck with me. I thought that was pretty funny. He was pretty animated when he said it. But I know from my own experience, um, I can think of a time last summer. I went on vacation for three weeks. Uh, so I was off the bike for three weeks, and I came back and I had to get on my bike to uh, do the daily. And I thought, oh, here we go. I'm going to feel like absolute garbage. I'm going to be out of shape and I'm going to be weak. And lo and behold, I felt like a rock star. I had on that particular day, who knows coincidence or not, I had fantastic legs. And where, where it actually stands out clearly, it's like something is different today. And that does happen from time to time. So what, what's going on in the background where, where the body just reports so differently in that way? Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, that's an interesting topic. It's one that's um, always on the mind of athletes. And, and there's, there's a lot of uh, different research to show different things, why it happens. But when you think about um, training versus racing, um, when you're training, we're trying to put your, we're trying to fatigue your body because we know that when you train and you work, work out and you do a hard workout, um, it puts your body to its limitations, right? It causes micro damage, if you will. So we're putting you in a state of fatigue. That state of fatigue elicits an adaptation process, which results in our fitness, right? So in order for us to continue progressing our fitness, we continually need to fatigue your body to elicit this adaptation re response. So training, um, ultimately results or requires a level of fatigue to get the results that you want from it. So you're always slightly tired as, as you train. Now that doesn't mean that you should go as hard as you can and make yourself as tired as you can, because that can have uh, negative impacts and cause you to overtrain or get ill or injured. So there's this kind of a balance there, but what's going on is at the same time as you're creating this fatigue. Um, so if, if, I'll show you guys the training peaks um, file. So those of you listening to SoundCloud, you might want to come back to this part in a little bit, but it'll show you the trend. So when you do a workout, you can see how much fatigue you're causing, how much fitness 
results from that. But at the same time, what you're referring to is your freshness. So we're pushing your freshness down. It makes sense, right? If, if I'm making you more fatigued, your legs are going to be less fresh. Okay. So, and as your training goes, your freshness can get pushed further and further down. Now, what you're referring to, like taking time off, would be the equivalent of tapering. So when we're talking about the pros, sometimes they'll do, a, most pros or, or even just elite athletes will do about a 10-day 10, 10 taper. So you pick your event that you're training for, and 10 days back from there, you start to wind down your training a little bit. Now, often they'll continue to train because their racing efforts are a bit more demanding than what you and I would probably do. And they kind of need that um, high intensity engine to be to be primed a little bit more, but they're going to reduce the amount of efforts that they do. So say their training plan included like 20 accelerations in a, in a, in a training day, they'll probably reduce that down to like under 10, but they would still go for an hour ride. They do lots of stuff. So they still keep all that primed up, but so and that would help them maintain their fitness while they brought their freshness back up. So hopefully by race day, they have what, what you refer to as fresh legs or good legs. Um, it doesn't always work that way. It's super individualized. So you have to play around with it a little bit. There are tons of factors that um, play into it. Your nutrition. So for them, they're always trying to balance um, getting enough nutrition for um, recovery without adding any weight so for most of us that's not a problem but for the typical pro you know 500 grams extra on their body is going to weigh them down in the alps right so they're for them it's a much much finer balancing tool for us it's just just get enough calories in try not to be too naughty while you're leading up to your events you'll be fine getting enough sleep so are you getting eight hours or so each night because if you can accumulate sleep that's usually when your body um, creates an adaptation processes from its training, or at least the most adaptation from your training. So increasing your sleep can bring fresh legs forward very, very quickly. And then just making sure that you limit the amount of stresses in your life. So like keeping your, just because you're not riding as much, don't fill up that extra time with extra things at home, like doing more yard work and uh, doing more work and, and things like that. So it's keeping those stresses low and all that stuff will bring your um, your freshness back. So now you can kind of see when you went away on vacation, you took away all those things. You're probably eating pretty well every day. Maybe you're being a little bit naughty, but you're getting lots of calories in, probably hydrating. You had all your stresses gone. Um, you probably did a bunch of training up to the point that you left. So you're probably quite fatigued. Your fitness probably won't drop off. Now, that is something to, to think about is like how long you stay off the bike will start to impact your fitness. So within three days, your fitness can come down. But um, if you've done a large volume of training, it's not going to come down that significantly. But your fresh, freshness will come back massively. And when your freshness comes back, then you get to utilize all of that fitness, right? You get to use the full potential of what, what you're capable of. And that's, that's what you're referring to there. So I'll just do a quick share screen, show you guys the training peaks. And, um, oh, Alex, would you mind disabling the screen sharing? There we go. Awesome. Okay. 
All right, so we're looking at my file here and I'll show you the last, um, last 28 days so you can see it. So the blue lines here are my fitness, okay? Now you're not gonna see a lot because I'm kind of peaking right now. So this should be trending upwards. All these pink lines here, these pink spikes are workouts. So the higher that little pink spike, the harder the workout was. In other words, the more fatigue I created. So if we hover over that, you can see the fatigue from that one, it was 122. I did my big ride this last weekend, which was a 300K ride. So that was 148 points of fatigue. And at the same time, you can see what's happening to my leg here on the yellow line. So when I've been off my bike, my freshness comes back. But when I'm training, my freshness goes down. So especially after a big ride like the weekend, <laughs> my legs were not feeling good. So this, this chart is, is pretty accurate, right? And as the week progresses, so I took two days off my bike, um, my freshness is starting to come back, right? But if I'm in the training phase, I don't actually want my freshness to come back up too quickly. So I want to continue pushing this down just a little bit, not too much, because we know using training peaks that there's a score system. If this gets too low, then I'm going to be at risk of overtraining. And that's when you start to feel tired all the time. And it's the opposite of what you're talking about, Tim, where your legs feel heavy all the time, right? So I want to kind of balance it out where I don't feel too heavy, but I'm getting good training in. Um, ultimately, we're trying to balance these two so that my fitness comes all the way up. But if I was doing an event, I would let this taper off just like this. So these dash lines are the next seven days. So it's stuff that I haven't done yet. So if I didn't ride for the next few days, my freshness would come up to 26 points versus the weekend where it's minus 50. So you can tell that's significant. So here my legs would feel amazing. Here at minus 50, my legs felt like absolute garbage. So, but, and you can see um, on that blue line there, seven days off wouldn't really affect my fitness too much. It would drop versus right after that big ride, but not significantly enough that I would have anything to worry about. So a good taper um, can have some really good effects on the way your legs feel. Does that answer your question or does it? Absolutely, because I guess before, um, you know, the old school way of thinking would be that uh, before science really hit sport um, in a big way, you know, old school was more is better. Just go, 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 ride, 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 pedal, pedal, pedal. And that will be, that will equal strength. But really that's, that's a misnomer. That's not the case. Yeah. We're really starting to learn more about um, training and how important the recovery process is because that's where all the effects from your training happen. So um, your fitness really depends on the quality, not only of your training, but the quality of your recovery. There's a, there's a uh, saying that you can't, overtrain but you can under recover so i would actually argue the first part as well but <laughs> most people's typical um, um mistake when they when they're really getting ambitious is not giving themselves enough recovery time between training days and leading up to their events we all get kind of in that strava hole of worrying about what everybody else is doing so and so did a triple crown blah 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 oh man did you see so and so's ride before the whistler fondo you kind of need to have a big filter on you when you're focusing on leading up for your events or how you want to ride and ignore some of those things and make sure that you're staying fresh for the, the days and events that you want to be fresh for. So, yeah. Great. I think we'll have about a minute left, right, um, Alex? 
Uh, yeah, we're uh, we're running out of time here on the Zoom meeting, um, so we'll have to save any more of this conversation for the next coach's corner. Well, so thank fun. you so much, Paul, for uh, for for coming out again and and for providing us with another great coach's corner. And thank you, Tim, for coming out and for your guest appearance here on Coach's Corner. Really appreciate it. Thanks, yeah, Aaron. thanks, Alex, and thanks, Tim. It's great to have you out. And and really, really good questions. Super, super valid. Great. Thanks, and see you again next week. Bye. Cheers. Bye now.